Welcome, everyone, to our Every Other Thursday podcast, where we cover the wide world of food service and hospitality. Our hosts cover both the relevant news of the moment and we invite key industry experts in for conversations that are informative, enlightening, and entertaining. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 40 to 50 minute conversation presented bi weekly by Tabletop Journal. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner. Hi, everyone. I want to welcome you back to Every Other Thursday. Every Other Thursday is our podcast that deals with the food service and hospitality industry in all phases and facets. This episode, by the way, of Every Other Thursday, it's episode number 40, and it's being recorded on the week of June 21st, 2021. I'm Dave, and I'm usually I'm your host here at Every Other Thursday, but today's going to be a little bit different as both myself and our other co-host, Jay Alley, we are both out on assignment, working hard to bring you the best there is in food service. But not to worry, you'll be in the very able hands of Greg Kirish. Greg, of course, is our other co-host. He works alongside us on each episode of Every Other Thursday and has been with us right from the start. In today's episode, Greg's guest will be Janet Aidy. Janet is the owner of Aidy Advantage, and that is a company that focuses on economic development and site selection. Now, you might ask, what does all this have to do with food service? Well, we'll tell you. I think we all know that food service is definitely intertwined with any kind of economic development on a whole host and a wide variety of levels. And also, site selection, of course, is very near and dear to operators as they look to expand into new locations and new new fronts. After all, having a very vibrant and cool restaurant scene, it's critical to making any location attractive for economic development today. And we all know what a challenge is going on right now in attracting top talent, especially to industries like ours. And Greg will be discussing all this and much, much more with his guest today, Janet Aidy from Aidy Advantage. But first, let's get the general business of our episode here out of the way. This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by Tabletop Journal. Tabletop Journal is where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. And so now, with all of that out of the way, let's get Greg's conversation with Janet Aidy started. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Karish. And by the intro that you might have just heard, you might know that I'm flying solo this week. I am not being joined by my friends and colleagues, Dave Turner and Jay Alley. They are out on assignments, real food service assignments all over the country. They are gathering information, taking a good look around, and finishing up some projects. And I think that they're going to be coming back to us with some really interesting information. In the meantime, we have are very happy and uh, lucky to have a guest tonight joining me, Janet Aidy. I've known Janet since the mid-80s when we both started out our food service careers in consulting, market research, strategic planning. She's been a friend ever since and a wealth of information and a really go-to person for, for answers. With that, I'm going to turn it over to Janet right away here so we can get started for her to tell a little bit more about herself and what she's doing and her company. Thanks, Greg, and thanks so much for for having me today. As Greg said, my name's Janet Aidy. I run a business called Aidy Advantage. We are based in Madison, Wisconsin. And although what I do today is focused on economic development, 
food service and food runs through not only my personal life, of course, but also through my career. I mean, like Greg said, we started out together at this consulting company. I went on and got my MBA, worked for a uh, checkoff program, and then started my own business just about 20 years ago. And what we do in my business is economic development and site selection. And you may say, what in the world does that have to do with food service? But let us help connect some of those dots because economic development is really about creating jobs, helping communities stay vital, all of those kinds of related issues. And increasingly, it's about issues of economic equity and economic mobility and those kinds of things. We also work on the site selection side, which is where companies ask us where they should locate. And I think the thread here, there's so many threads back to food service, Greg. You know, one of them has got to be that people want to live in a place that's cool and cool places have great restaurants, of course. But also, I mean, just food service interweaves throughout everything. So we specialize in agricultural and food processing type projects in our site selection practice. As an example, we do a lot of research, economic research and, and other research for the dairy industry, for example, or for other sectors in terms of all kinds of things. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stop talking, Greg. Ask me some of your questions. Well, you know, before we before I start asking you for you know point blank questions, you know, that make what you're saying just just uh, made me think. My son is working on a construction site. He helps build data centers in Des Moines, Iowa. And there's a lot going on that goes back to what you were saying. I had no idea that Des Moines has more restaurants per capita than San Francisco. And it's attracting workers, and workers then attract more restaurants. And it's supposed to be, I've read uh, in some places that it's one of the number one cities in America for chefs to go to and grow. So, I mean, all these things are interrelated, and these are happening, No, not disparaging our, our good friends in Des Moines in any way, but they're happening in cities and places that you wouldn't even re- that you wouldn't even realize or wouldn't think that they'd be at the top of the list. Yeah, it's pretty cool because what's happening in economic development, I mean, if we're going to talk the picture and how it relates to food service, what's happening in economic development is that it used to literally be, if you build it, they will come. And so it was all about recruiting businesses, getting jobs and investment, and then the people would come and then the people would spend their money downtown at those great restaurants. But what happened about five or six, seven years ago, we could start to see the shift where it was actually the people. So the people would drive the businesses and what gets people there, it's a great quality of life. And so we start to see this duality of economic development where there's still that, what I call the business development track. So they're still attracting jobs and investment because you want to grow your tax base as a community. But you also have to work on the talent side, and that goes back fundamentally to quality of place. Restaurants are going to be a big part of that, along with childcare and transportation and broadband. So let's take that back to Des Moines, right? They also have a ton of data centers there. Believe it or not, they have all of the big names in data centers are in Des Moines, and it's a great it's a great workforce. It's a great environment. It's got low natural disaster risks. If you really want to know, good utility costs. So it's it's an interesting mecca, and I think it's actually probably a good symbol of how communities can thrive and be successful in both. 
what I call the talent track and the business track in terms of economic development. So looking at economic development, I mean, I guess let's we, we, we really jumped in feet first here. Uh, and, but I guess taking a step back from an economic development standpoint, how is this economic disruption that we've gone through now different than others? And, and whether it's Des Moines or wherever, what is happening with wages and workforce recruitment, retention, attraction strategies across the board? Yeah. So this this. I call it economic disruption. So coming out of COVID is fundamentally different than what we experienced during 2008-2009. During 2008-2009, it was much more traditional. It was slow simmering. It was very traditional kind of disruption. It focused mainly on the manufacturing, the industrial sector. And then as those people lost their jobs, it trickled through to food service and hospitality and lodging, et cetera. In that instance, it also predominantly affected men because their you know, prevalence in, in manufacturing type of occupations. In this downturn or economic disruption or this period of, of great uncertainty, it was quite flipped. Because it was a virus, it happened very instantaneously. It more affected the food service, hospitality, lodging, et cetera, first. And then kind of the industrial sectors, this is the, the dirty little secret maybe of communities even, is that a lot of the industrial sectors maintained or even grew during COVID. So as long as they could get workers in, and now we can talk about some high profile cases like the meat processors and so forth, but a lot of companies were scrambling to make you know, personal protective equipment or to make food, all of these other kinds of things, packaging, the things that we need every day, toilet paper, you know, stuff like that. And with supply chains disrupted, what had been prior to the pandemic was a tight labor market. And you go, oh my gosh, we're going to be in a, in, a, in a recession. The labor market is going to ease up. And those manufacturers have had so much trouble before the pandemic are going to be clean, you know, smooth sailing. In fact, the, 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 the opposite happened. It got even tighter. And so another main difference, so I want to go on the labor market, but another main difference is that this one was one of those recessions and the only one that I can remember where you could turn a switch and say, oh, by the way, we have a vaccine. Everything's okay now. And so then everything's fired up and going the other way, which is very different than the typical kind of slow build, rebuilding and all that kind of stuff. So it's been a little bit of a whiplash on some of these industries and, and pivoting and, and all of those kinds of things, but very, very different than 2008, 2009. Interesting insights. So I guess taking things a, a step further, I mean, we're talking about, about labor. I, I've read that food or read lived that food service and accommodations, hospitality, is the number one industry for occupations that can be automated. I've been hearing this for, for years. There's always been like this give and take and uh, hammer over people's heads with labor. That we're, okay, we're going to, if you don't play by the rules or play nice, we're going to automate, you know, a lot. It's been going both ways for a long time. So what does that mean for food service for the future, for the future in your mind? You know, you talk about labor being tight. Now here's the option for autom automation. I think that there's going to be a bifurcation. You know, I don't know if you agree, but 
let's hear what you have to say. Yeah. Well, first, first let's talk about the data because the data does exist. I've seen it. I can send you a link and you can put it up on the website if you'd like. But McKinsey did the study. And what McKinsey did is they looked at all of the different occupations, right? So there's standard occupational classifications, SOC codes. They looked at all the different occupations. And for each occupation, they classified it into seven categories. And they ranged from like very little likelihood of automation to very highly likelihood of automation. And so, for example, like management of people, you know, subject matter expertise, those kinds of things are on one end of the spectrum. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have repeatable physical activity would be like the most automatable. And so those seven categories, each occupation, and then they aggregated it up into the industries that those occupations are associated with. And they came up with this index of how automatable each standard industry is. And so in economic development, we use what in the old days were called SIC codes, which are now called NEXT codes, North American Industri Industrial Classification System. So they, they bundled them all up into the North American Industrial Classification System codes. And lo and behold, accommodations, food services, the number one automatable industry, followed by manufacturing, followed by things like agriculture and distribution. And what's fascinating about that to me is that everyone pictures automation is those big, gigantic, you know, swinging arms in a factory where if you don't watch yourself, they're going to bowl you over and you know, nobody will even notice that you are gone, you know, those kinds of things. But then if you really think about it, think about accommodations and food service. Like before the pandemic, I travel a lot. I'm probably on the road 60% of the time. Before the pandemic, I'd be checking into my hotel and I'm not at the Ritz, okay? I'm in rural America. There's no Ritz in, in rural America unless we're talking crackers on the table as the appetizer, okay? That's the only Ritz that I'm going to. <laughs> and so there's these, you know, not, not fancy hotels, let me just say, those kinds of hotels. And they're sending me emails saying, you know, Janet, you don't have to uh, come to the front desk and wake up Tina. You can just download our app and we'll send you a thing and you can swipe it and you get into your room by yourself. And I'm like, I'll be God darned if I'm not going to check in with the real person who's going to hand me a key and tell me when the breakfast starts, you know? Right, right. And then what happened, right? And so you see that and you see it in the rental car area. So you see that, you know, the, 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 you basically can just go and, and get into your car by yourself. You can see it, of course, in food service, it's been there forever. I served on the board of a men, uh, menu board company. And so we could see, I mean, obviously digital menu boards, and that's a whole other thing, but we could see that trend happening ages ago where people want to order, you know, in a kiosk or online or whatever. So you start to see that automation is really right in front of our eyes. And that's one of the things, one of the trends, and I've identified a handful here, maybe six of them, that has accelerated post-COVID. So what was a little bit of forays into these things has now become kind of standard fare. So I'm going to be on the road all next week. I probably will never see a person, <laughs> you know, I'll be getting my car and driving to my hotel and pumping my gas and sometimes eating at restaurants without actually seeing a person. And so that's kind of the promise of automation. And then when you throw in there the difficulties with finding labor, right? We are, we are seeing the wages, certainly in the food service hospitality jobs, start inching up 13, 14, $15 an hour seems to be the new standard. You can see that the uh, operators and, and the owners of those establishments are going to say, now tell me again what that return on investment was for 
that equipment that could automate this. And then I don't have people calling in sick and I don't have people complaining about working double shifts nights and weekends. You know, there's going to be a, a perfect storm here, I think, for increased automation adoption in food service and accommodations, no question. Well, what I was referring to when I say bifurcation, I think there's going to be like highly, highly skilled people at one end, artisans, you know, sh chefs, for example, and at the other, people doing some, you know, pretty menial jobs, I guess. And the only thing in between is automation. Is that how you see things playing out? Yeah, very much so, because I, I see that like the customer facing jobs, those are the toughest ones to automate. And so the hostess. Right. The hostess is going to be there, even if there's no waiters and waitresses, the hostess right. will be there. The dishwasher is going to be there, you know, those kinds of things. But I think that, you know, that idea of bifurcation is that the, the industries themselves, it's like there's going to, prices are going up because the wages are going up. And we know that wages are a significant input into the total cost. Right. We have to talk about real estate, too, because that's another big uncertainty for the food service world. But automation makes it easier in some respects and, and certainly more predictable to provide the level of service that, that companies want to provide. So I, I can't see a future where there's not going to be inroads by automation. And those inroads are going to be very hard to claw back. It's going to be very hard to make the argument, oh, you know, now the workforce is big again. Let's let's turn off that equipment and let's hire people again. No. So it's, it speaks. I mean, we could go in a lot of different directions here, Greg. We can talk about job training. We can talk about how, you know, labor costs across the board have been stressed. We could talk about what companies are doing to attract talent and how I my recommendation on talent is start with retention. Start with retention, then do development and then do re recruitment or attraction. Just like any other thing, hold on to the ones you can. If you have some to hold on to, and I realize that it's been extremely difficult in a pandemic to hold on to any staff, but really uh, that's going to be the biggest constraint to growth, I think, for food service is going to be the access to talent. Well, why don't we, you know, this has been great. Why don't we give you a break here? We'll take, we'll take a break and, you know, let's come back and we'll explore some of those other areas. So we've been talking with Janet Aidy. Economic Development and Site Selection Expert. And, and Janet, uh, let us know how we can get in touch with you. you sure. Know, website or wh how, what's best? Sure. You can email me. You can go to my website. You can, uh, that's probably, either of those is probably best. So my website is 80advantage.com, and that's 80 rhymes with lady. So A as an apple, D as in David, Y, advantage.com. Great. So with that, let's take a break, and uh, we'll be right back with Janet Aidy. This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than nine years now, Tabletop Journal has been covering the food service and hospitality industry, all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. If you haven't signed up for Tabletop Journal's bi-monthly newsletter, it's simple and easy, and it's free. Simply go to tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. Now, back to our podcast. Hello, everybody. I'm Greg Kirish. As uh, you know, if you've been listening to our first segment, I'm flying solo this week. My colleagues, Dave Turner and Jay Alley, have not been able to join me. They are out on assignment all over the country. 
And I have the good fortune of talking here with Janet Aidy of Aidy Advantage. And she's just uh, given us a whole lot of information to think about in the first segment about what, what's going on in the current economy, how it's impacting food service operators. And one area that uh, we definitely need to talk about was a segue from the, when our last ending is real estate. And uh, I'm just going to leave it that broad and see what, what Janet has to say. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Thanks, Greg. So we're talking about economic development and food service, and we want to get to how real estate fits into that whole equation and, and what some of the changes are that we're seeing. I guess first, just in terms of context, I would say that when we're looking at locations, we are looking at operating costs, operating conditions, and quality of life. And those operating costs for any project are going to be labor, right, distribution, utilities, incentives and taxes, and occupancy costs or, or real estate. And so these are all very, very important to us. And in the economic development world, a project is impossible to complete without real estate. So it's a very fundamental thing. It's a fatal flaw if you don't have suitable real estate, if it's not ready, if it's not you know suitable for the project, all those kinds of things. So we pay very close attention to real estate. It is not often the number one cost because labor and, and other factors tend to come into play, equipment, for example, but it's absolutely critical. And so I think uh, maybe what we can talk about a little bit is some of the trends that have happened really since COVID in terms of real estate. So let's let's think about this. You may think if you're in food service and maybe you're renting or maybe you own, you may say real estate is like the riskiest thing in the world. The market is terrible. You know, there's business, you know, companies going out of business. There's landlords who are left holding the bag. It is just absolutely terrible because you still owe on the rent, right? When even if you don't have customers walking in the door, it's one of the bigger overhead costs that is fixed. It's not variable. Yet when we look at real estate, if we if we just step back a little bit, we look at um, industrial real estate, we look at residential real estate, we look at office real estate, and we look at commercial real estate, which is where food service operators of restaurants would fall into play. And I can tell you, and you probably can see this from looking around you, that industrial office space is going through the industrial space, excuse me, is going through the roof. So there's a couple of different trends that are going on. Number one, we have money in our pocket. We can't spend it at restaurants, so we're ordering things, right? Keep, it, keep in mind that through COVID, we still had to eat and we still had to use toilet paper and we still had to do all this stuff. And because we had the income that we weren't spending at the movies or at the restaurants, we had a little bit more. So, we're, you know, you could see that we're spending more on home furnishings. We're spending more on repairs and remodeling and all those kinds of things. So it's not like can, Americans have become frugal all of a sudden. It's like we just keep consuming. And if we can't consume what we usually do, we find something else to consume. So anyways, the industrial sector is really going gangbusters. We're seeing huge increases in the, in the cost. We're seeing speculative buildings. And that means somebody's paying millions of dollars to build a building without a tenant signed yet. That's, that's a big deal. We're starting to see speculative refrigerated frozen warehouse space in the U.S. So we've got, I think, four or five of those across the U.S. right now, which is unheard of. You, you know, usually those are higher costs. You don't really pay ahead for those. So that sector is very strong. It's doing very well. 
you probably see activity if you're in a major metro area and it's not just Amazon, it's all kinds of different distribution kind of, of groups that are going into play here. The next sector that's going gangbusters, as we all know, is housing, right? So housing, we could go into for a million years here, but housing is really tight. Housing was tight ever since 2008, 2009. Developers got burned, so they didn't continue to produce as much as they used to. And then lo and behold, we got you know, we could see the divergence that there was more people than there were housing units. And a lot of the, and this is my opinion, but a lot of the municipalities were left kind of flat footed. You know, they never had to incent housing before. And they're like, why do we have to incent housing? There's such a demand for it. But the issue is that there's only so many two by fours and there's only so many developers to put them all together that developers kind of need an incentive. Plus developers got burned before. So they really don't want to take the risk of building in the infrastructure of the water, the sewer, the electric. And that's typically what they would do. So there's all kinds of things going on in housing and, and, and ways to try to address that. But that is going through the roof. There's the most innovative things going on in housing that I could share with you. So that's gonna get solved, but it's gonna be years before that's solved. Then we go into office. Office is where a lot of change is happening, right? We actually had the, the uh, opportunity to do a study for a major Atlantic Coast metropolitan area that wanted our predictions as far as what was going to happen to their office space as it starts to come off lease, as work from home starts to take hold, as all of those things start to happen. Office is in a place of big flux, at the same time, the people who develop office space are some of the most creative minds in real estate. And so that's why you're starting to see office buildings get converted into housing. You're starting to see office being converted into multi-tenant or, or uh, multi-use. You're starting to see very, very creative things happening in the office area. You're starting to see the co-op, the, the shared spaces come back again because some believe that people are going to need an outlet that they don't, even if they can work from home, they don't want to be there with the cats and the dogs and the kids and all that all day long. They want a, a third space to go to. So there's huge things happening in the office space as that whole deck gets reshuffled. Now that you may not see so dramatically because a lot of those are on seven year leases. So it just, it takes a while to churn and, and to reuse and to, and to get the decisions that Target is giving up a million square feet of space in downtown Minneapolis, right? So there's a revolution going on in housing, a revolution going on in office space, revolution going on in warehousing, distribution. So how does, you know, where do you, where, what do you see as the immediate manifestations in food service and restaurants? Then you've got commercial and commercial, you know, sometimes it's Main Street, sometimes it's dependent on office traffic, you know, in, in those areas. And so we're seeing, all again, all kinds of things happening and changing. But and, and, you know, I mean, I think you've had podcasts on this as well, as far as the creativity of the food service operators to pivot and to go to takeout and to go to retail even and to create all of these different things. But as far as the real estate goes, it's, you know, obviously more drive through. So all of the banks that are going under, they're getting scooped up for coffee and, and fine dining and all those kinds of things. So that's going to be a big thing. I think shorter leases is going to start to be requested. I think that on the upside, I think that if you're into 
starting a restaurant, you're going to be able to find one that's got some equipment already in place. Otherwise, that can be a huge upfront cost, you know, so there could be some opportunities here as some of those spaces open up and they may already be suited where you don't have to do that much remodeling to get it going and start to get some revenue in there. Just amazing things on the food service side. And, you know, of course, it's not snapping back as as quickly as we would like. I think there's literally an appetite, a built up demand, uh, but it's difficult to have that mirror up exactly with the ability to staff it and get all the supplies you need and to kind of get back into your rhythm again. So there's a little bit of disjointedness there, I think. And let's let's tie this all back to the labor thing, Greg, because as those operations can't hire the people that they need, you know, which is which is a generation, you know, that's never happened, right? In the generations that that they've been running the restaurant, they can always find workers, and now they can't. And it even with the incentives, you know, from unemployment starting to phase out and kids going back to school, so that'll ease up some of the childcare burdens, all those kinds of things the vaccine getting rolled out, all of those things are contributing to a lack of workforce. But we don't think that there's going to be this breakthrough where come September 1st, the market's going to be flooded with people. There are still people choosing to sit on the sidelines. There are still people that are sidelined by the childcare, the vaccine, those kinds of things that are not jumping back into the market. And frankly, a lot of the people who worked in food service, accommodations, hospitality, tourism, they've taken other jobs. They can make more money. They can have more regular hours. You know, they can get benefits. There's all kinds of transition happening at that, at that, especially the the fifteen dollar an hour plus or minus twenty percent kind of range. So I'm going to put words in your mouth and tell me if I'm doing this correctly. So here we have a situation. You know, I'm uh, where I'm a entrepreneur. I want to start a restaurant. There's demand out there and there's money out there. People, people have are willing to spend, they and they and they have and they have money to spend. Okay, real estate looks like they can they can get real real estate for for their operation, whatever it might be. It might not have been originally a restaurant, but you can con- somehow convert it if you're creative. So there's a lot of a lot of positives going on for an entrepreneur. The challenge is is labor at this point. Do I get that did I get that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you read it exactly. If you can if you can figure out the labor issue, it's a great time for you. Yeah. yeah. So if you have an extended family and you can talk everyone into to work in the shifts, you know, I'm in. But you know what we've also seen is in those situations where the proprietor is, you know, doing front of house and back of house and all that, they're just like, you know what, we're gonna give up the restaurant. We're gonna do a food cart instead. And we're you know, we're gonna work from four days a week and do the food cart and just have the two of us. You know, I mean, there's there's going to be all kinds of interesting labor things that happen, but it is absolutely impossible. And I and I talked about municipalities not not anticipating that they'd have to step up and help with housing. I think it's the same thing with food service and accommodations. It's like never dreamt that you wouldn't be able to get some high school kids to help clean the dishes or take orders or flip some burgers or whatever the case may be. But it is a extremely tight market. So let's talk about the labor market in general and why it, it wasn't because of COVID. COVID made it worse. But if you think about the labor market as literally a pipeline, you have on either end, you have what's the birth rate, what's the death rate? Yeah. <laughs> so the birth rate is still positive, but it's about one third the rate that it has traditionally been. So it's in the 1% range instead of the 3% range. 
that's a huge, huge deal. So the, the, the population growth has slowed in a lot of places. And, and immigration has been curtailed. Immigration has been curtailed, right? So you throw that in there. And then you throw in there, what's the labor force participation rate? So those things that I said, that's been impacted by COVID. So child care is an issue. You're not going to just go to work if you've got two kids under the age of four at home, you know, because they can't go to daycare or whatever. So child care is an issue. The stimulus payments has been an issue. The lack of a vaccine until now has been an issue. And some people still have health concerns where they don't want to get back into a customer-facing role because, because of that. But there's all of these things that are kind of impacting that labor force participation rate. And then you have this craziness. Here's another big difference of between 2008 and 2009 and now. How is your 401k doing? How is the market doing? It's doing awesome. So all of those baby boomers who were on the bubble, right, are sitting there going, I can't believe this. I get to work at home. My 401k is doing awesome. And if they make me go back to the office, I'm just going to retire. I just don't care. So you've got that attrition, you know, at the upper end of the of the talent pipeline where, where people are dropping out of the, the workforce faster than they had been. So 10,000 people a day were retiring before COVID. And now that number is higher. You can track the 401k kind of, statistics on that. Uh, and then, of course, people are dying. And so part of our workforce is literally dying uh, because of COVID. So it's a real struggle. And then in, in, in between there, you've got wages and skills and some of those other things. But the major the major indicators are all long-term indicators in that the birth rate is slowed, right? Immigration challenges have, have, have persisted. Let's just say that. People are exiting the workforce and they're going to continue to exit the workforce as the first baby boomers started to retire. It's now in, in the middle of the baby boomers. So it's 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 a tough uphill slog to get people. Uh, this might be uh, going back a little bit from what we were talking about. But one thing, one question comes to mind. You work with a lot of municipalities on all these issues. But what comes first, the chicken or the egg? What comes first? Do you build restaurants and then these people are attracted to the municipality or do the people go to the municipality and then it attracts restaurants or is it some combination thereof? That's a great question. I'm going to call out one of our clients, which is Addison, Texas, uh, just north of Dallas, Fort Worth. They also have probably as many restaurants per capita. Uh, I think it's 200, 300 restaurants in a city of 10,000. They have a huge influx each day of office workers and people flock there, even in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, because of the variety and number of restaurants they have. That was that was kind of their claim to fame. Back in the day, Greg wants to know why that is. Back in the day, they had a, were serving liquor when the rest of the areas were not. So they had the alcohol that, that came with the restaurants, and they really became known for that. Now, of course, everybody's serving alcohol along with the food. Uh, but that's been their claim to fame, and it's a huge calling card for them in terms of attraction because the businesses want to go where people want to go, and people want to go, frankly, let's face it, where there's good food. All things being equal, do you want to go a place with great food and restaurant choices or not, right? Mm -hmm. You want to go to a place. So when we think of quality of place, that attractant for people, that attractant that once the people are there, the businesses are going to come, you want to show a nice, vibrant downtown. You want to show the great restaurants. You want to show the festivals. You want to show um, the events that you do. 
You want to show the farmer's markets. Now, everything that I've said has to do with food and food service, Mm -hmm. everything that I've said. And so they start to see how agriculture and and food service and creativity and the arts and and training programs and, you know, all of these kinds of things all feed into what makes a community different and special and unique. That's interesting, you know, because it just seems to be a a great uh, there's a great time now to get out there and things are, are, are moving. There's a lot of moving pieces, obviously, but it seems to be a great time for people to get out there and open a restaurant. You know, the other thing that has been happening and it hasn't been the municipalities behind this, but it's been some of the resorts and those kinds of places which are, you know, okay, I'm going to back up. You know how they had like Britney Spears in Vegas? I know you're dying to hear how this ties back. They had Britney Spears in Vegas. She had like a tour there or a, 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 what do you call it? You know, a, a staging there for a number of months. And there were there's other like major superstars that go there. We're starting to see that same thing, right, in food service, where these superstar chefs who've been running empires are kind of twiddling their thumbs and they're creative and they're so smart and they're, you know, they're they're wanting to get out there. Some of these resorts are trying to get people back. And so they're they're offering them like apprenticeships or internships or really headlining, like come to the shores and you can headline every weekend in September and I mean, it works for everybody because the chefs get to go to a new location, build a new clientele. You know, they get to bring their families. They get to relax at the resort um, when they're not cooking, you know, 22 hours a day. And the resorts get a headliner that can help bring people back into uh, the travel mode, you know. So I think there's going to be so much creativity even about what what is a restaurant, what is not a restaurant, where should they be located, what hours should they, they be I was traveling a couple of weeks ago and my hotel is like, yeah, we don't, we don't do the restaurant anymore. We just don't do it. We couldn't staff it. Okay, great. You know, go to the little refrigerator and, and get a something you can microwave or something. So it's, it's going to have pretty big impacts. That reminds me, I have friends here on the North shore of Chicago that went out to uh, restaurants here in the area. And uh, they said there was a lot of people out. They, uh, they went to rest- several restaurants and they said, look, we can seat you. We have seating, but we can't serve you. So, you know, you're, you're welcome to come in, sit down, we'll give you water, but that's, a, that's, what we, that's the best we can do. So they just, they just don't have labor. So what, what you're saying also reminds me that of, a, of a debate that we constantly have here on every other Thursday is about whether or not municipalities can or should extend all these new rules that they've made, you know, for like outdoor seating, to go drinks, that type of thing. I'm of the camp that, hey, why not? Why not help all these people? Consumers, customers, guests like it. It's good for the operator. They seem to have worked with without many problems. So why go back to the old way? Do you have an opinion about that? I do have an opinion about that. I'm, I'm with you. I think that they should generally stay. I think that a lot of the communities, especially the more rural areas that we're working with, are really looking at increasing density and simultaneously focusing on what they call transit-oriented development, but basically walkable communities. And and you don't need cars, and you won't need as many cars as we used to have. I mean, was it not a blessed thing, you know, in about April of 2020 to have to drive someplace and you there was nobody on the road. I mean, that's what it could be like, right? And, and I think a lot of people are going to continue to work at home. So I don't think traffic will get up to its 
pre-pandemic levels. And I think that it's opened up a door. Like I know communities that were doing traffic studies during the pandemic to say, hey, what would happen if we, if we put you know, dining in the street? What would happen if we, we turned that into a bike lane? What would happen if we got rid of that parking and turned it into green space, you know? So I, th- I think that, and, and electric vehicles are gonna do the same thing and self-driving cars are also pointing toward that. And, and c- communities have to go to density. They have to continue to grow their tax base and they can't do it through sprawl. They, and they, they have to serve it, which means utilities and those kinds, you know, police protection, all that. They have to do that. And, and density is the most efficient way to do that. And people generally like it. They like activity. They like vibrancy. When you, when you think about the, the adjectives you would use to describe a successful city, I think that would be it, right? It'd be vibrancy. You don't want vacant. You want vibrancy. You want activity. Uh, you want an, an active downtown. You want great restaurants, choice of restaurants, you know, all those kinds of things. And so, you know, food service really does come to the, the forefront when we talk about quality of place. And, and that is where the future of economic development is going. So very high regard for the restaurants and the operators who, who really, you know, create the personality a lot of times for communities. Excellent. I, I, I'm actually uplifted uh, with optimism, hearing you. I mean, it sounds like there's good, there's good things ahead. And, and, you know, after coming out for this year and a half of uh, COVID, I mean, are you? Am I, am I reading you correctly? Yeah, there. I can tell you because we we kind of get the early sense of this. The the um, corporate side. So the people that are looking to expand and invest, you know, millions or tens of millions of dollars in a new facility, that is going gangbusters. And the community side is as well. And some of that is going to be short term because they're getting an ARPA shot in the arm. Uh, So they're getting the American Recovery Plan Act funding that's trickling down to these communities. At the same time, though, I'll say this about the communities. They had to consume the CARES Act funding very quickly. They had till the end of the year, like six or eight months to consume all that. This funding is a couple, two or three years. And so it's giving the uh, government organizations a lot more time to just be a little intentional and a little bit more strategic about how they spend that money. And I can assure you that the main focus is is going to be human infrastructure, uh, which means things like childcare and they, you know those kinds of things that help support talent, as well as quality of place initiatives as much as they can. They want vibrant downtowns. They want to have a place where those restaurants can be successful. They really, really want that. And so they're trying to work very hard to say, how can we help? Uh, how can we help that happen? Well, Jen, this has been great. And, you know, I know we, we could just keep on talking and talking and talking. And, and I think that uh, we need to go away and uh, here at uh, every other Thursday and really go back and listen to what, what you've had to say and invite you back so that we can drill down into these into one of these silos or, or a couple of these silos. Sure. It's been great. Again, we've been talking with Janet Aidy, an economic development and site selection expert. She has her own company, Aidy Advantage. That's A-D-Y Advantage. And uh, you, can be, you can be found at, is it Aidy Advantage? dot com. Yeah. There, that's easy enough. That's easy enough. So with that, Jan, this has been great. Thanks. And we, we're really looking forward to having you back. Oh, yeah. And I'm looking forward to my colleagues, Dave Turner and Jay Alley joining me in the future. And, and, and hopefully we can all get together and, and, and have a chat. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. 
This episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than nine years, Tabletop Journal has been covering the global food service and hospitality industry, all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places, all in the world of hospitality tabletop. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, everyotherthursdaypodcast.com. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday.